as we're looking at that, I want to just mention before that that did you know, and some of you already know this because you've taken the Life of Christ class with me, there are 331 Old Testament prophecies that were all fulfilled in Jesus Christ. That is amazing. 331 prophecies. That means that the probability of that happening is like, and this is how it was put to me, if you would put a one up in the corner of that wall, underline it, put one followed by zeros, filling the wall with zeros, that's the probability of those prophecies all being fulfilled in one person. <laughs> in other words, it's impossible. But we know it is possible with God. And, and you know, it, it should give us confidence in our faith that our faith is anchored and secure in Jesus Christ. And he is who he said he was. And uh, I love what C.S. Lewis said in Mere Christianity. He said this regarding John chapter 14 and verse 6. It says, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. And C.S. Lewis said, Jesus doesn't give us the option to call him a good teacher. Or even we could add something now to it that uh, some religions say. He doesn't give us the option to be an ascended master. Because you know, some, some belief systems say that Jesus is only an ascended master. Well, you know, he's far beyond that. Because to put him in the realm of an ascended master means to put him on an equal plane with Buddha and Confucius and Muhammad. And, and that, that's blasphemy, you know that? Because that's not true. Jesus is far above that. C.S. Lewis now, he went on to say this he's about Jesus. He said, if he is not who he says he was, then he is a liar. Hello. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Either he is or he isn't. He doesn't give us the option to stay on the fence with that. And if we believe that he is the way, the truth, and the life, if we believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that's a part of becoming a Christian. You believe in your heart. You confess with your mouth. You shall be saved. Amen. Let's look at Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. I want to talk to you a little bit about what the fullness of time is. And if you've had my Bible geography class, this is kind of a rehash for you, but hopefully it's a good one. When the fullness of time. What is the fullness of time? At that moment when it was deemed right by the Father, when everything had aligned up, right and, and correct so that the Son of God could be sent to the earth. The first thing that happened was the Babylonian captivity. Israel went to Babylon because of their sins, but then that caused them to return to God. 
because in Babylon there were idolatry temples on almost every corner. And so they were just pressed by that and, and really overwhelmed by that, by the idolatry. And so their hearts yearned to turn, return to God. And they then, when they returned back home, they were what would be called monotheistic now. They didn't worship idols anymore. And so that's a wonderful thing. That's the first thing. And then the second one is the Medo-Persian king, Cyrus, ordered the Jews to return. Cyrus, is, by the way, was named years before he was even born. He was named by name as being the one who would release the Jews to go back to build the temple and build Jerusalem. That's amazing that the prophet would have his name and just speak it out when as yet he had not even been born. And he paid, not only did he release him, but he also paid for the trip. <laughs> and he paid for the rebuilding of the temple. Wow. And so th this is a wonderful thing that, that happened in order to prepare the way for Messiah to come, for Jesus to come. And if, can you imagine if the temple had not been there when Jesus was around, why, he wouldn't have driven the money changers out of the temple, right? Because there would have not have been a temple. But because there was a temple, that set up that event twice to happen, at the beginning of his ministry and at the ending of his ministry, because there was a temple that was built. <coughs> you know, God does great things that may seem like coincidences to normal, everyday people. But we must realize and grasp hold of the fact that they are actually interventions of God into our life, where God ministers into us. God takes us, He changes us, He makes us what we need to be, and He prepares the way, and He does great and mighty things. Isn't it wonderful what He's done? Amen. And you and I are living testimonies of what the Lord has done. Amen. The next thing I want to tell you about the fullness of time is that the Greeks established a universal language for the spreading of the gospel. The Bible became the New Testament Bible. Well, first of all, let's go to the Old Testament. The Old Testament Bible was translated into, from Hebrew into Greek around 200 B.C., before Christ came. So most of the Jewish scholars of Christ's day were studying the Greek Old Testament. When you see quotes in the New Testament from the Old Testament, and you go back and you read them in the Old Testament, you say, well, that's different. That's, that seems, why did they re record that differently than what it was written back here in the Old Testament? It's because they're quoting from the Septuagint, the Greek version of the Old Testament. That's why. Interesting, right? But the other thing that happened then, when the apostles began to write, they began to write in Greek the universal language of the day, just like many places you go today. English is the business language. People all over the world 
use English as a kind of a universal language. In Jesus' day, they used Greek. And so it, it helps with the establishment of the gospel, the spreading of the gospel. The, third, the fourth thing is this, the Romans. The Romans made crucifixion the capital punishment of the day. Well, they, they didn't just punish people. You know, today we think of capital punishment. A person receives a death penalty, in other words, if they have uh, killed someone else. A person receives a death penalty if they have uh, kidnapped someone. Ever since Lindbergh's babies were kidnapped, that, that they passed a law that said that that, was, that deserved the death penalty, kidnapping does. So in our day, though, we don't crucify, we don't have the death penalty for people that are thieves, right? But in Jesus' day, they had the death penalty for thieves. Remember, Jesus hung on the cross. Who was beside him? There was a thief on the left and a thief on the right. That was their only crime. They weren't murderers. They weren't insurrectionists. They were thieves. And they got hung on the cross for it. Huh? When Jesus was on the cross, the thieves were on the cross. The thieves were on the cross, yes. All right. The, the other thing that the Romans did was they built a network of roads for the gospel to go forth on. And some of those roads, if you were to go to Israel, you could find that those roads are still there today. That's amazing. The, some of the aqueducts that the Romans built to transport water are still there today in Israel. You know, it's, it's amazing what the Romans were able to do by virtue of their organization uh, you know, and how they, how they did things. The, the next thing they did was they reduced the threat of pirates and thieves and ordered mandatory taxation. Well, what's, what's all that about? The, the threat of, ta of pirates and thieves. Well, the gospel evangelist needed to be safe to go and spread the gospel. And if they were not safe, then they might be more fearful to go. But because the Romans helped out in that respect, they could safely go and travel the seas or travel the roads and the highways because the piracy was down. And then the mandatory taxation, what in the world would that have to do? Don't you just hate it when April 15th comes around in the United States, right? Because that's tax day, unless you get a refund. But in that day, remember, it was the fact that there was a taxation that is recorded in Luke chapter 2 that Mary and Joseph went to Bethlehem because they were from the house of David to be taxed there. And while they were there, Jesus was born. If the taxation had never been recorded or never been required, would Jesus have been born in Bethlehem? Well, your answer is yes, of course, because you believe the, the, the prophecy of the Bible. But you see, God used government to help to fulfill the prophecy that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. Wow, that's great. And then it says, uh, and I didn't put this in my notes, but it says that he was born under the law. Did you know that the Bible records 
in the book of Luke that Jesus was circumcised on the eighth day. That was when the Jewish people were to circumcise their children. They were told back in Deuteronomy they were to circumcise them on the eighth day. It was a religious ordinance, but it was God's ordinance. Do you know why that's so, so unique? And Nikki could probably tell us because she's the nurse. The eighth day is the day that children have the highest level of vitamin K in their body. And vitamin K is the clotting agent. God knew that. And so he says, well, here we go. Circumcise them on the eighth day. They'll heal easier that, that way. Wow. But the circumcision was a part of the law. And so Jesus, being circumcised on the eighth day, he came, just as Galatians said, under the law. But what was the, his purpose? To redeem those who were under the law. And in, in Matthew's gospel, it says, Jesus said, I've come to fulfill the law. He completely fulfilled the law. We don't have to. We put our faith and our trust in Jesus. And we look to him every day for his help in our life. I want us to go to Matthew chapter 1 and verse 20 and 21 now. And I know Pastor Zach read this on Sunday, but, but it you know, just kind of ties into what my line of thinking is here tonight. And if you've missed those services on Sunday where he's talking about Emmanuel, God with us, there, that's a great series, and you can get that online. It's, it's archived there. But here, here the reading. But while Joseph thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And, and I want us now to look at that name, Jesus. You know, he said, call, the angel said, call his name Jesus. What does the name Jesus mean? I mean, it is the Greek form of the Hebrew. And if we go back into the Old Testament into the Pentateuch, it talks about uh, Joshua, whose name was Jehoshua. And his name would then in the New Testament from the into the Greek be called Jesus. So Jehoshua or Joshua. What was Joshua? He was a great deliverer. He was a great leader. And so he was a foretype, a foreshadowing of Jesus. Jesus is our great deliverer. Amen. He's our great leader. Then the next one is uh, Hosea is also part of that, the name of Jesus. Because Hosea, Hosea is, comes from that. But then, you know, it's all linked together in the language. But Hosea is this, Hosea. Remember what he did? He was a prophet in the Old Testament that married a prostitute because God told him to. And when the prostitute left him after she had had two children, he, God said, go and get her back. Go and buy her back. And he went and bought her back. So it, it's a type of Jesus 
being the faithful husband who goes and seeks after those who are lost. Isn't that wonderful? Amen. And then the other thing is this now, that word Yeshua or Jehoshua, it comes from two words that are joined together. Jeh or Jehovah. Jehovah, which means the self-existent one, the one who is the eternal one. Now, I don't know if you've looked at your birth certificate lately. Mine's in the safe someplace. But on your, in, on your birth certificate, it says where you were born. And it says the day that you were born. And even though Jesus was born into this world, his name means Jehovah the self-existent one or the eternal one. That's the first part of his name. Jehoshua or Yeshua. He is the one who is the self-existent one. He came, he had no predate birth date. You understand what I'm saying? He was always was with the Father and he always was in existence. So that in John chapter 1, he would say this, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with him, and all things were made by him. Without him was nothing made with that was made. I know it, it in our finite minds, I have a finite mind, I don't know about you, but I have a finite mind. In my finite mind, I cannot hardly, I can just cannot comprehend someone not having a beginning somewhere. Because that's how my mind is fixed. It's, it's, it's within this human frame. But by faith, I accept the fact that God is the self-existent God. He is Jehovah. He is Yahweh. He always has been. He answers to no one. He has no equal. He is all-powerful. He is God. And there is none like unto him. Uh, the second part of the name Yeshua is the word Yasha in the Hebrew. And it means to open, to free, to save, to deliver, to preserve, to help to bring salvation. All of those things are embodying the, the ministry of Jesus Christ. That's what he's doing. Whatever you have need of today, it's there in Jesus. And it's been given in his name or through his name. His name is powerful. His name is mighty. His name is wonderful. And we should... We should treasure his name. I know that there are people in Latin American countries and even in immigrants into the United States that are named Jesus or Jesus. Jesus is what they say. But it's not the same. There were other Jesuses in the Bible. Remember the one in Acts that uh, was a sorcerer? His name was Ar Jesus or Bar-Jesus. You know, and so there were people, other people that were named Jesus, but there's only one Jesus who was the Savior. There's only one 
Jesus, who was the Christ. And he came to give us life. He came to meet our every need. He could do that because he is eternally God and he is the sinless son of God, the sinless man. Wow. Which is another thing I can't wrap my mind around. How he could be fully God, 100%, and yet fully man, 100%. But he could. He was without sin. He is our God, our Lord, our Savior. And when we have a need, all we do is cry out his name. Jesus! 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 And wait for his presence to show up. And his might to stand there with us and to help us. The rabbis have a saying. And it's this, concerning the six whose names were given before birth, Isaac, Ishmael, Moses, Solomon, Josiah, and the name of the Messiah. All of those five you know of in the Old Testament, they were named before they were born. Messiah, the rabbis say, Messiah would be named before he was born. Now, they are speaking because they're rabbis and they're not, they're not uh, completed Jews is what we would call them because they've, they've not believed on Messiah, Jesus Christ, yet they're saying Messiah is yet to come. But we know that he has already come, don't we? We know that he is already here. But here, listen to what he says. And the name of Messiah, whom may the Holy One, blessed be his name, Bring quickly in our days. And that's, I have that in parentheses, Vincent, that's where I found that information. But that's, that's an interesting saying, isn't it? That they believe that the Messiah would be named before his birth. Well, he was. We read it tonight. And it's also recorded in Luke, where Mary is told, you shall call his name Jesus. So both of his parents were given his name before he was born. Wow. And it's a wonderful name. A wonderful name. And we have the great opportunity to be a part of his kingdom. To be his brothers and his sisters. Because he's adopted us into his family through his blood. Amen. We belong to Him. Isn't that neat? You ever wish you had an older brother that would take up for you? Well, Jesus does. Who's your biggest enemy? Yeah. Not just physically, but sometimes spiritually. Your biggest enemy is the, is the devil. And you know what? Jesus is bigger than him. You know, just like that... that uh, kid on the, on the playground that says my brother is bigger than your brother or my daddy is bigger than your daddy well yeah our brother Jesus is bigger than your brother and our daddy father God is bigger than yours <laughs> amen I go back to the word and found and stand on the word of God it speaks of the of the power of the name of Jesus, the risen Christ.
Hallelujah. There's going to come a day when people will confess the name of Jesus, whether they want to or not. People that today say they don't love the Lord, say they don't believe in Him. Even, you know, there, there are even some Christians that say they don't believe that God would punish people that don't believe in Jesus. We don't have to deal with that problem. That's God's problem, amen? But let me tell you, tell you a little secret about that. And it's this. If someone's really hungry for God, he will reveal himself unto them. <clears throat> when I was growing up and going to First Assembly down on Lester Street, we had a, an evangelist come, and he preached from the chart. You ever seen those guys? They had those big charts that from they tell from the beginning of time all the way through the book of Revelation. They tell all that all that's going to be. And I always love those charts. But one, yeah, you guys know. Okay, okay. All right. <laughs> That's what got me started, uh, Rocky. <laughs> anyway, one night, he got away from the chart. He said, the Lord's impressed upon me that, that I, want, I need to share my testimony with you. And his testimony always stuck. And I'm just going to give you the, the, the highlights of it just real quickly here. Because it, it speaks to the point of what I said. If someone's really hungry after God, he will reveal himself unto them. He will. He was raised. His name was Minton. Brother Minton. M-I-N-T-I-N, -T -T -I, I think. He was raised on a Seminole Indian reservation down in Florida. The only time he ever heard the name of God or the name of Jesus was when his parents or other people or even himself cursed. He had never heard the message of the gospel. At the age of 18, he had smoked pot and done drugs and, and drank and just done about anything he felt he was man enough to do. At 18, he was empty. And he was at the point where he was going to commit suicide. And he cried out and said, God, I don't know if you're real or not, but if you are, reveal yourself to me. And he fell out into a trance and he saw a vision of the last week of the life of Christ. Just as it's recorded in the Gospels. And when he woke up, he gave his life to Christ. And when he read the Bible, he said, this is what the Lord showed me. <laughs> this is exactly what the Lord showed me. And I said, again, I share that with you to let you know, if someone is really hungering after God, 
He will reveal himself unto them. So that when anyone stands, any of us stand before the throne on the judgment day, no one will have an excuse. Because the question will be, the basic question will be, when we stand before the throne on judgment day, not what church we went to, not how much money we put in the offering, not how much we gave to charity, not how many lessons we taught, not how many sermons we preached, but here's the crux of it. What have you done with Jesus Christ? What have you done with Jesus Christ? Did you believe in him? Did you accept him as the Savior? That's the question that determines our eternity and everyone. And as I said, the millions of people around the world, yes, they will be able to know the Lord. He will reveal himself unto them. You know that there are even angels that preach the gospel. It's recorded in the book of Revelation. There are angels that preach the gospel. Did you know that there are, God is right now preparing 144,000 people. It's recorded in the book of Revelation. He's preparing 144,000 people that are Jewish that will believe in Jesus Christ. Amen? And they will be witnesses during the tribulation period. How are they going to get saved? God's going to save them. Amen. He will. Praise God. And, and if you read about them in the book of Revelation, it says these are, these are those that are not, defi- have not defiled themselves or anything. They're, they're pure and holy. They've separated apart and set apart unto God. Wow. Millions of people all over the world are able to hear the gospel message. Did you know that we live in such a society today, too, that this is amazing? 20 years ago, we could not have said this, but today we can say it. On this piece of equipment that I have in my hands, it is more powerful than the computer that I worked on when I was working at, or- at Orkin in the last part of the 1990s. Right here. This is more powerful than that computer. And see how small it is. Everyone in the world has one of these accessible to themselves. They have it if 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 they don't have one, they know somebody else that has one. This is how the scriptures talk about how that People are going to see things like the two witnesses that are killed in the book of Revelation. How are they going to see it? On their cell phones. (laughs) Because right now, I could pull up something. I could pull up uh, what's happening right now in in, uh, Kathmandu on my cell phone. I could Google that. And I'll bet it could show me exactly what's happening in Kathmandu, wherever that is. I'm just, I'm just saying that's the world we live in. People can hear the gospel. It's on the phone. There are many, many preachers 
that have messages on YouTube. This message tonight is going out to YouTube. People can access it on their phones. The gospel's there for people. It's there. It's up to them what they do with it. Well, let's go to Philippians chapter 2. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and those on the earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Praise God. Praise God. See, when people start talking about what's going on in our world, there you have it right there. You can just say, I know what the book says. I know how the book says it's all going to end. It's all going to come down. It's going to be that everyone is going to bow before Jesus Christ. Here's, he is Jesus, the Son of God, in the beginning with God, there, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And he volunteered to come to earth to save mankind. He did not come to earth to force men to worship him. He didn't do that. He was humble, he was meek, he said, here I am. You accept me for how I am. He says, I am meek and lowly. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. Take my yoke upon you, and I will give you rest. He came to die in our place. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, And he, meaning God, made him to be Jesus, to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. So here's what happens. When we, it, we call this the great exchange. When we give our lives to Jesus and we give Him our sins, He forgives us our sins by His blood and He gives us eternal life. What a great exchange that is. <laughs> he gives us eternal life. He gives us wonderful presence of the Holy Spirit to be with us and to walk within us because he came to die in our place to give his life as a ransom for us. Amen. This is another reason why it said, you know, when we talked about in the fullness of time God sent his son we said, remember, the crucifixion was the method of of capital punishment. What if he had come before that, because the Jews, their form of capital punishment was somebody committed crime, stone them to death. But it wasn't to be that with Jesus. 
He was intended to go to the cross. In John chapter 3, Jesus talking to Nicodemus says, and I, if I will be lifted up from the earth, I will draw a man to myself. And he says, for this reason, Moses lifted up the serpent of the wilderness, and so I must be lifted up. Wonderful, wonderful type again. Jesus did not use his power as God to destroy his enemies. He could have. You know what he said instead, Nelson? He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Who is he talking about? He was talking about the Jews who hollered out, crucify him, crucify him. He was talking about the leaders, the Jewish Sanhedrin that sentenced him to die. Annas, Caiaphas, he was talking about them. Who is he talking about? The Romans that did the dirty work, that nailed him to the cross. Who is he talking about? He was talking about me. He was talking about you. He says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Wonderful, wonderful. He did not use his power as God to save himself from the cross. You know, there's one beautiful song that says he could have called 10,000 angels destroy the world into seven spheres. But he didn't. He chose to die for you and for me. The next thing uh, Vincent says is this. He was not unable to assert equality with God. And this is kind of, you got to catch this and listen to it. Might have to even have to write it down to, to really grab hold of it. He was not unable to assert equality with God but he was able not to assert it when he walked on this earth. He could have asserted the fact that he was God and people needed to treat him accordingly. Oh, there were people that were doing that in Jesus' day. The emperors were doing that. Roman emperors would say, I'm, I'm God. You need to be mindful of what you say to me because I could have you crucified. Because I'm God. But Jesus was God. And yet, when people railed against him or blasphemed him or spoke evil of him, he did not destroy them. He loved them. He has all that we need. Everything that you might need. Tonight, tomorrow, next year, he has everything that you need. Everything. And because of that, He is worthy of our worship. He's worthy of us doing the exact same thing that it talks about here. And maybe you're not able to kneel down tonight physically, but kneel down in your heart, would you? If you can't kneel physically, kneel in your heart. But if you can feel kneel physically, I would challenge you to do that as we sing this chorus. He is Lord. He is Lord. He is risen from the dead and He is Lord of all. Would you say, sing that with me now? Right now? He is Lord. He is Lord. May we, Lord, continue
continually commit our lives daily to be your servants, to proclaim you, proclaim you Lord, to believers and unbelievers alike. Lord, that other people would see Jesus living in us, especially during this time of year. Bless each one, Lord, as they gather with their families and as they gather with their friends. May the conversation inevitably turn to the birth of Jesus and the greatness of Jesus being Lord and Master and Savior. Thank you, Lord, for each one that's here. Bless them in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Praise the Lord. God bless you. If you'll be here.